welcome to the 57th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. From an early age, Kent Solberg wanted to work and live on the land. His original choice was to be a farmer, but growing up in Minnesota's Twin Cities, as a young man, he didn't have many opportunities to pursue that profession. So he decided to pursue a career in natural resources. He obtained a master's degree in wildlife management and for several years worked for state and federal natural resource agencies. During those years, Kent gained a lot of experience protecting and managing lands that had been set aside and preserved by the public. But Solberg never lost his interest in farming and over the years grew increasingly interested in how land could be a source of food as well as ecological services such as high-quality soil, clean water, and good wildlife habitat. While he was a natural resources professional, Solberg came in contact with landowners who were utilizing sustainable agriculture practices to balance protection of the environment and food production on working farmland. He was particularly interested in how farmers were utilizing grass-based livestock production to make it profitable to grow perennial plant systems that protect the land year-round. Beginning about a decade ago, Solberg began raising beef on grass. In 2003, he bought a farm in central Minnesota's Wadena County. His family now produces milk, poultry, and eggs on carefully managed, rotationally grazed pastures. Solberg is well on his way to managing land in a way that combines his two passions, farming and natural resources conservation. He feels strongly that land does not always have to be taken out of production in order to produce environmental benefits, and his operation is a living example of that. I recently sat down with Kent to talk about the philosophy of balancing food production and environmental sustainability on working farmlands, and what kinds of ecological improvements he's observed on his own operation. As you'll hear, this farmer is very passionate about food production, natural resources protection, and farming systems that bring the two together for mutual benefit. Yeah, Kent, uh, it was really interesting hearing you talk here earlier about uh, your background, the fact that you you did not grow up on a farm, you're from Minneapolis, and then you had always had a passion for the outdoors, so you've got actually, I believe, a master's degree in wildlife management. You found your way through different uh, means onto the farm. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you've really seen being on the farm and uh, uh, managing a working landscape as a way for you to follow up your first passion, was, which was uh, uh, helping the environment, conservation, being in the outdoors, kind of helping that landscape out. I think when a lot of people think of wildlife conservation, uh, ecology, that type of thing, they think, well, let's set this this land aside in a wildlife refuge or even in CRP. They don't think of the working lands aspect of it. So, so maybe talk a little bit about how that's worked out for you. Well, I think one of our biggest challenges in conservation is how do we provide food for people and at the same time protect our natural resources, whether that's water quality, wildlife habitat, uh, reducing soil erosion. Um, one of our biggest goals at our farm is how can we be a place of production and yet protect those resources that are important to so many people that's a, a big challenge uh, that I see in the Midwest here you know most of the land is in agricultural production um, there's been a, a conflict between the industrial agricultural model and the natural resource people for many 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 years and we hope to bridge that gap 
uh, with a more sustainable type agricultural model. Our farm is focused on uh, pasture, on managed grazing as a way to raise food. Um, we have a grass-based dairy. We do hogs on pasture. We also have some laying hens on pasture. We do some agroforestry also. Uh, we find that we can use managed grazing in some of our river bottom land at times when it's not going to be detrimental and yet it helps stretch our other pasture and protect some of our other pasture resources. We have a 10 acre pine plantation that was planted about 25 years ago. Uh, there were some gaps in that plantation that allow some grass to grow so we're actually producing milk, meat and wood fiber on the same acreage by doing that. We have our farm is part of a bigger grassland complex with some other neighboring grass space farmers and we see bobolinks, uh, a songbird species that migrates back and forth between South America and North America. Uh, going all the way down to Argentina uh, during the winter months. Very, very dependent on those grassland-type habitats. And we see bobolinks um, in, in our pastures and near our pastures, and we believe that's a good indicator of us providing quality grassland habitat for those birds. I think there's lots of other examples out there of people who have done uh, rotational grazing and pasture-based farming, sustainable-type farming in Minnesota. Uh, in southeast Minnesota, there are dairy and beef producers that have trout streams going through their property. Um, the NRCS and DNR has been monitoring uh, the impacts of that and they've actually seen the water quality improve and they've seen the trout habitat improved over the years uh, because of that rotational, carefully managed rotational grazing through those areas. Uh, we see in our area, I see a lot of woodcock in the spring using our pastures. Um, our pastures provide excellent roosting areas for woodcock. That's a species that's been in decline in recent years and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has had some concern about um, and have made some adjustments in, in their management to protect that species. Uh, wild turkeys thrive uh, uh, with these small dairies that have a mix of um, hay ground, managed pastures, a little bit of row crop, and intermixed with some hardwoods. Um, the turkeys just thrive in that. And obviously deer do very well in those, those settings too. We see rough grouse on our farms. We see sandhill cranes, another open land species. Um, that, that can thrive in these grass-based systems. So there's lots of examples uh, out there, and uh, we're hoping to walk the talk, uh, so to speak, and put some of these practices to work and see if a family can actually make a living from the land and still protect those resources in the process. Could you give me a little background on what kind of the landscape history of your your farm is or, or that area is? Was it a former prairie type system? It was much more open in the past. I recently uh, got a hold of a copy of the 1939 aerial photo of our property and it was much more open. Uh, I happen to know two people who are now in their 80s who grew up in the 1930s on our farm. They're neighbors of mine and I've been able to spend some time discussing what things were like then. It was much more open. Um, the river bottom was open and it was hayed. Now it's basically a, a ash elm river bottom forest type. We live in Wadena County and Wadena County in the past uh, had a history of um, huntable populations of prairie chickens. Those are all but gone now. Um, I've seen old newspaper and magazine articles from the 50s, 60s, and even the early 70s talking about flocks of 200 prairie chickens being sighted near Sabika, which is just a few miles north of us. 
Um, those are open land species um, that that just don't tolerate uh, timber encroachment. Um, our farm was heavily, heavily farmed in row crops for many years. Um, we can see that in the soil. Our soils are very light. They, they don't respond well to heavy tillage. Um, for many, many years it was row crop. The soil was extremely depleted. Our organic matter was way down around 1%. We're trying to build our organic matter to improve the health and the tilth of that soil uh, through our management practices. Uh, but it takes time. It took a lot of years to get there. Um, some of the positive things we see in the area is uh, native grasses, such as Indian grass, big blue stem, switchgrass, little blue stem, will volunteer on our property. And so we're looking real hard at at least planting a portion of our graceable acreage to those warm season native grass species. And maybe some of your listeners are familiar with those. They were used on a lot of the CRP acres. Uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service and DNR has planted them on a, a lot of their uh, wildlife management and uh, waterfowl management areas throughout Minnesota. Um, they're, they're part of the native ecosystem. Our area in Wadena County is part of what's called the transition zone. Uh, different times depending on climate, depending on wildfire, depending on the movement of the large herds of bison and elk, it was probably more prairie than forest and at other times it was probably more forest than prairie. Uh, we don't know absolutely for sure for how much or for how long but we do know that we see a uh, both the woodland species and the prairie species intermingling uh, uh, in our county. My understanding is kind of the way you got introduced to, uh, as, a, as a wildlife professional, introduced to some of the farming systems out there that were balancing uh, conservation with working lands, uh, conservation with productivity, was you, you were a wildlife manager, I think, in Lacaparo County, and, and you, you started meeting some of the farmers that were doing some of the different things? Not so much at that time. I was hoping to implement uh, some things like rotational grazing to supplement the prescribed burning program for improving water or habitat for waterfowl and for pheasants. Um, at that time, things were very heavy into uh, row crop production. I had done some work pr uh, previously in Missouri on pheasant habitat, and we found that uh, one of the missing habitat uh, components was broodering habitat and alfalfa fields, clover fields, and small grain fields are excellent broodering habitat. Um, warm season native grass stands make excellent nesting habitat but they don't have the legumes in them to support the insect population that the broods need once they come off the nest, once they hatch. 90% um, of the diet of those little pheasant chicks the first few weeks off the nest is, is insects. They need that pro protein and calcium for quick growth. And so we were hoping to start implementing some of those things there and improve some of the pheasant quality there. And, and that was basically using agricultural practices uh, to do that. It's really wonderful how you've made that connection, and, and you've been in both worlds pretty deeply. Are you seeing more uh, natural resource professionals kind of see the, the benefits of working lands, or is it still uh, we're, we're still in that transition area where uh, we need a lot of work yet to do in that area? It kind of depends on the discipline. Uh, I see in some of the college fisheries programs, they've really made the connection between um, what's going on in the watershed and what's going on in that lake and stream. 
and uh, I'm a graduate of South Dakota State, and I have a little bit of connection with some of the professors there, and they've actually incorporated that into some of their curricula and talked about the importance of some of these sustainable farming practices for maintaining water quality and fisheries habitat. They've latched on to it probably quicker than some of the wildlife folks have. That's changing. Um, it's becoming uh, a little more common. Unfortunately, most of us who have been banging around the natural resource field for a while all remember our freshman introduction to natural resources class and the slide went on the screen and it was about 20 cows standing in a stream uh, in a stream with the eroded stream banks there with a big circle and red slash through it and you know cows and streams are bad you know and 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 to a young impressionable mind who has a strong interest in natural resources that image is very vivid and very powerful the issue isn't the cow the issue isn't the stream the issue is the management and how do we how do we do that? How can we raise meat? How can we raise milk and, and not impact those resources? And there's so many models out there now and examples of that it can work. I, I think the climate's changing, but it's been slow in coming. I would think that you have a, from a quality of life standpoint, have a real advantage because when you're out doing uh, moving fence and doing pa uh, chores, you, you know a lot of the wildlife you're seeing and you can notice changes on the land. It must be kind of fun. It, it's it's part of the thrill of getting up in the morning. I can go out and uh, we have a, a small river going through our property, which is a tributary to the Mississippi. Uh, we see eagles. We see wood ducks going up and down there. Uh, we've put up bluebird nest boxes, so we always look forward to the bluebirds coming back in the spring. We have turkeys bopping through the yard about 5 o'clock every night we had a last year we had a hen uh, turkey raise a brood of nine uh, in the evening in the spring I can go out uh, in the pasture with the cattle and listen to the woodcock painting uh, we catch the grouse drumming we see deer we see coyotes uh, sometimes we see a few too many predators when they go after our chickens that's a bit of a challenge there uh, but it's a thrill last winter we saw an otter uh, scoot across our pasture uh, that was just lots of fun so uh, we saw 21 turkey vultures one day soaring uh, in a kettle uh, up above our property in a thermal one day so if anybody's a, a hawk person or a raptor person uh, they can they can appreciate that so yeah the wildlife just makes it part of it to go out and hear the honking of the geese or the rattle of the cranes in the distance or uh, on a sunrise when we're going to get the cows in the morning just really makes it much more enjoyable <laughs> You can read stories of other farms that are combining food production with environmental sustainability in The Farm as Natural Habitat, a book that LSP's Dana Jackson co-edited a few years ago. Go to www.landstewardshipproject.org and put in the search term The Farm as Natural Habitat. On our website, we also have information on the Conservation Stewardship Program, an innovative federal initiative that rewards farmers for creating environmental benefits on working farmland. Just click on Programs and follow the links to our Federal Farm Policy page. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. That's bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and you'd like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. 
Thanks for listening. Thank you.